Chris, how are you, my friend? How was your week? I'm doing great, Christian. I uh, I had a really good week, actually. Um, Ottawa Senators, notwithstanding, um, let me down a little bit this week. But you know, you get used to that. Like, I say, that's what about you? Yeah, what, <laughs> yeah, yeah. What uh, what did you get up to this week? Um, I actually worked a ton this week. Um, I know in previous, I think last week I was off most of the week, so working most of the week was uh, a bit of an adjustment, but. Uh, um, you know, overall, not too bad. Uh, you know, professionally was a bit difficult. Had some, uh, you know, uh, I feel like I had some bad, a lot of bad news to deliver this week. You know, when you have those weeks where mm. you just have a lot of cases that just kind of, not that they don't go your way, but you know, just, you know, pets get sick and you got to tell people about it. And, uh, so it can weigh on you a little bit, but, uh, uh, no, what, what I chose to bring out of this week was, um, you know, I had a, a case that I had, um, where a dog was particularly ill with a particular disease, um, and, uh, I got to see that dog this week for uh, a recheck because it's doing great. And we're just following up with some blood work and, and things of that nature. So, um, so it's nice to, to get those ones, you know, put those in the wind column every once in a while. Um, mm. so, uh, so that's what I'm holding on to for this week, but, uh, yeah, no overall, well, was, hot uh, damn. that's right. <laughs> uh, it was a, it was a challenging week for sure. I won't lie, but, uh, but, uh, no, you take the wins when you can get them. How about you? Yeah. And I mean, so much of life is just about finding that balance, you know, have the have the negatives outweigh the positives today. Yes or no. You know, that's, sure. that's really all you're going to take home. And then you still got to be that positive, happy dad when you get home from work. It's hard mm-hmm. sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. My uh, professionally, the week was uh, pretty good. A um, lot of a lot of driving this week. Uh, went to some appointments pretty, pretty far from my home base. And we had a blizzard on one of the days it was absolutely insane saw three car accidents on the on the drive back from the appointment it was unbelievable white out but what can you do middle of january lake ontario it's gonna happen yeah absolutely and what about how about right, things, my... how are things with the little one? Oh man um we are not having a we're not having a good few days i'm not gonna lie to you uh, we um we have many days in a row you string them together where you just feel like the world's best parents you know every feeding goes well she's sleeping until you know like a good four or five hours at a time you just feel like everybody else in the world is wrong about parenting and you're the only person who knows how to do it and then you wake up one day and not a single thing that i'm doing is right I'm holding her the wrong way. I'm feeding her the wrong way. She's pooping herself the wrong way. Everything that's happening is going the wrong way. And you just feel like the world's worst parent. So swings and roundabouts. And uh, I would say the past couple of days have been more the latter than the former. Hmm. I don't know if you've ever had uh, weeks like that, Christian, but uh, it it takes a toll, I have to say. No, it it definitely does. And I can appreciate and, and empathize with you completely because, yes, there are days where um, yeah, where dad is the hero, there's days where mom is the hero. Um, and regardless of what the other person does, you know, it, it, it does not matter. Um, I, I feel like that's just nature's really cruel sense of humor, um, of just like finding a way to not let you get too high and not let you get too low. You know what I mean? It's just one of those where, um, you know, they just decide to keep us on the, uh, you know, keep us on the level. And like you mentioned, as long as the positives outweigh the negatives at the end of it all, that's what matters. Mm. And, and, uh, but, um, yeah. So what do you say? You ready to get this thing started? Yeah. Pump all it right, up. man. Let's I'm already excited. Let's load it up.
welcome everybody to the Dad Joke Loading Podcast. Uh, my name is Christian alongside my co-host Chris. Uh, we have been friends for 10 years now. It's crazy how much time has flown. And we are a couple of med- medical professionals, new dads, um, sports fans, trivia nerds, comedy fanatics, just trying to figure out this thing called life. And uh, we're excited that you're here for this journey with us. Um, for those of you who have not uh, listened to the podcast before, uh, we typically do a top- couple of topics, to- a couple of topics each week related to fatherhood, other things like that, with our own little twists on them, as well as some fun recurring segments. Um, with some uh, humor, uh, little factoid stories, um, and a whole bunch of other stuff mixed in between. So we're excited to have you here with us. Um, We would be remiss if we didn't thank uh, a bunch of people who have helped us along the way and made this happen. Um, First of all, our producer, Ryan, uh, who is involved with all of the audio editing um, and all of that good stuff. For those of you who love Disney World, he has a Disney podcast uh, with his wife uh, called Dole Whips and Double Doubles. So if you're interested in that uh, Canadian Disney perspective, uh, be sure to check that out. Um, Would also like to thank Michael Spicer of Michael Spicer Music. You can find him at uh, michaelspicermusic.com or Michael Spicer Composer on Instagram. Uh, He's responsible for a lot of our audio intro theme, uh, which is an original theme just for the podcast. Um, So we are uh, very excited for that. Uh, We'd also like to thank Vishal Murthy, a colleague of ours and uh, the vet cartoonist, as we call him, uh, who is responsible for our uh, image brand um, and a lot of the imaging that you see uh, associated with the podcast. And last, and of course, certainly not least, uh, we want to thank our wives and daughters, um, our wives specifically for obviously allowing us to be fathers uh, and putting up with us for this long to allow us to be able to do a podcast, and uh, to our daughters for obviously making us the happiest dads um, in the world. So without further ado, Chris. Let's dive right into it. Topic number one. Um so, Christian, I have to say, before I, uh, before I lead us into this topic and uh, before we go down this rabbit hole, there's a few quick things that I just need to say right off the hop. Number Love one, it. every single time that you tell me we've been friends for 10 years, you say it at the start of every single podcast and every time I'm like, oh my goodness, 10 years. Are you kidding me? I still can't believe it every time. Number two, last week, uh, we talked about our favorite podcasts and... Um, Uh, I talked about an excellent uh, program, which I really encourage you to check out, called Quirks and Quarks, which is a science-based radio show on CBC. And uh, you know, you have one of those, uh, I'm sure we've all felt it, where you do something, and then you walk away, and like two hours later, you're thinking about it, and you're like, something doesn't feel right about this. I did something wrong. So I listened back to the podcast, and I called him Bob McKenzie who, of course, is the very famous hockey analyst that you and I, Christian, have watched since we were like five years old. Legend of the game. Now kind of semi-retired, actually, I think, this year, Bob McKenzie. And, of course, the numerous uh, honorary degree recipient, uh, multiple-decade host of the program Quirks and Quarks, a show I've listened to since, well, for about 10 years, I guess, since basically longer than we've known each other, is, of course, Bob McDonald not Bob McKenzie. So, you know, uh, two, two episodes into this and I've already, uh, fallen flat on my face. I'm just melting under the lights of this walk-in closet, Christian. I don't know what it is. Well, you know what? Sometimes when you fly too close to the sun, uh, you know, you get burned. So, um, you know, we'll take, we'll take the L and, uh, you know, we'll just, we'll, we'll figure it out. We'll go back to the drawing board. Uh, you know, we'll get more pucks on net bodies in front and, uh, you know, we'll come up the second period and, uh, you know, put forward a better effort. 
Yeah, I mean, you said it, Christian. We'll just get some pucks in deep. You know, we got to work hard. We got to outwork our opponent. You know, it's 20 minutes to get this game back. Get uh, get some rubber at the goalie. Challenge him, and uh, we'll get a lucky one here. Um, <laughs> I love that you could literally just apply the generic um, hockey grind, grind and cycle, and puck possession to just about anything. <laughs> <laughs> And it doesn't really mean anything. It it's means like we're just going to go nothing. out there no. and we're going to continue to play as we've played. Hockey is just such a chaotic physical sport. That, I mean, you, you're, you play and of course you practice, you play and you, you know, for everything. But really what it comes down to it is like, all right, let's just go get them, boys. Let's just do it. You know, let's just get out there and get her, get her going. Let's get her done. The answer to every interview in game post game is always, we just got to execute. Like, what does that even mean? Like, it's just like, you know, like basketball, you know, make or miss league. We just got to execute, you know, like football. Yeah, we had the good game plan. You know, we had the right play drawn up. We just got to execute, you know, baseball. You know, I'm seeing the ball. Well, you know, I just got to put the bat on the ball, man. I just got to execute. Like, that's all the guy manning or the guy manning the guillotine in 1789. I just got to execute. You know, I I just got to love to be the beat writer for like, you know, the like Versailles France guillotine league as they're just beheading people. And it's just like, guys, just like, yeah, you know what? I thought I executed really well today. Just like, yeah. you know. we went uh, deep into extra innings. We got a few, a uh, few other heads on the plate. We're doing, uh, we're, we're doing good. We're doing good out there. Team, team game. I like how we went from just like, you know, sometimes I feel like a good dad to just a guillotine chop just <laughs> real quickly, you know, like nine yeah. minutes in. Yep. Already at the guillotine. That- Nowhere to go, but up. That took a turn. And uh, I said, first topic, let me take 10 seconds. And here we are five minutes later. Good goodness, Christian. I'll get this timing thing. All right. Diving in. First topic. What we're going to talk about this week, doctor, is how has your perspective changed now that you are a father? So basically, the premise behind this is, uh, you know, we're in our we're in our early 30s now, and uh, we've lived a certain way our whole lives, and we've thought about life and the world and everything. Of course, it evolves and it changes with time as we go through different life experiences. But of all these life experiences, there probably isn't one that is likely to have shaken up how you look at things and impacted your life more than childhood. And and we're gonna uh, sorry than fatherhood, well, childhood as well, I guess, in the inverse. But we're going to take a moment to talk about that. And, um, you know, I, I know, Christian, this is something that um, for our listeners out there, uh, I hate to break it to you, but Christian and I talk to each other a lot outside of this podcast as well. And uh, so over the past uh, 18 months or so, you've, you've mentioned several times how your perspective has changed. But in all of those conversations, I don't know the extent to which I fully understand the ways in which it has actually changed for you. So I know that's something that you've said to me, Hmm. and I'm really interested to know what actually has tangibly changed for you. And so, um, you know, we've we've gone through a very big uh, time of tumult, I suppose, in our society. Great uh, word. This year. Great word. Um, <laughs> and, and so I'm, I'm intrigued. Um, I'll let you take it away. How do you feel that your perspective has changed? What are the, what are the biggest areas in which it's changed? Yeah, it's a, it's a really good question. And to be honest with you, it's something I definitely did not realize that it would ever happen until it was just kind of happening in front of me. And I found myself reacting to different uh, current events, topics, um, you know, situations much differently and just started intrinsically, this is going to sound kind of bad, but I mean, intrinsically caring about things way more and way differently than than I did before. 
Um, or maybe it's just in that same vein, maybe some, there are some interior beliefs that I have that are now just so amplified because now mm. it's not just my life that these things affect, right? And as every parent out there will know, and those who are thinking about being parents, I will let you know right now, when you have a child, like your life is not about you anymore. It, it, you know, people joke about that. You know, your parents probably tell you, you know, like, oh yeah, it's not going to be about you anymore. And you're like, yeah, okay. Like, yeah, okay. I got, I'm, I'm still going to do my thing. And I mean, you still do your thing, but it's crazy. The just kind of intrinsic amount of, of thought process that is changed. And um, of course, as the listeners will know, you know, Chris and I both have daughters. Um, and so I've always been very, um, you know, obviously pro equality and in all shapes and forms. Um, but I found myself carrying so much more about things like gender issues, specifically, um, mm. you know, women's equality, um, you know, thinking about, I know the Me Too movement was big, um, you know, well, it's always should have been big, let's be real. But, you know, it really came to the forefront a couple of years ago. And just mm. all of those types of issues, you know, that have really been like, when you sit back and think about something like that, and just be like, if that was my daughter, like, I would just be crushed. Um, where it was something as before, um, you know, I, I hate to admit it, but it was almost just kind of a headline, right? Like you obviously mm. still cared about it, but it didn't seem to hit as close to home maybe as it should have. Um, right. another one, for example, that's been out there recently. Sorry, I'll just, I'll finish this thought yeah, real yeah, quick. Um, it climate change, to be honest with you, I don't know why, but that's been a huge one for me. And I've always been very pro, um, I guess I'm not pro climate change. Because that makes it mean that I want it to happen. But um, we want know, change now. We want climate change. change. Yeah. When climate do we change. want it? Now. Um, I've always been, uh, you know, a firm believer in in making sure that we are doing everything that we can to be as environmentally conscious as we can. Um, and you see all these things about, you know, the projections and all these things that we need to do about, you know, carbon neutral and all these. And And for me, it's always just been kind of like, well, you know, okay, if the world burns in 30 years, like I did all right, got to about 60, you know, like I'm exaggerating to prove a point. But um, whereas now when I'm thinking, you know, that like, you know, my kid's going to be in her prime and, you know, like you have to think about those ramifications um, and just little mm -hmm. things like that. And actually I was talking to a friend about this very fact and she kind of called me out very correctly. And she was just like, well, why didn't you care that strongly until now? And mm. I was just like, I had, I, I had no reason for her, um, except that I had a daughter and it's just really, it was a very interesting, uh, kind of concept. And then of course you think about just all kinds of the current events. So you think about, um, political implications and all that type of stuff. And it's, you know, for me, uh, you know, I will admit I am kind of, uh, you know, the definition of white male privilege, really, you know, white male, good job, you know, uh, I, I don't really have much to complain about in terms of how my life has been put out before me. Um, and so just having that extra layer of, um, you know, thought process, um, and, you know, different point of view, um, has been a really kind of fascinating kind of exercise to go through. Mm, it's, it's really fascinating. I'm, I'm, I'm honestly here in, in rapt attention. I'm, I'm fascinated by the different, the very different ways in which it's affected you. I feel like this raises so many different questions for me. Um, one of my first ones is, to what extent do you feel that those changes about the way that you feel, are you 
consciously sort of calculating something. Like when you think about climate change, you know, you're you're thinking to yourself, okay, so um, when I see a headline that says the temperature will raise to this degree by 2100, and you, you know, are, you're now calculating and saying, well, my daughter will likely still be alive at that point in time, and I that now impacts her, versus how much of this especially with like the Me Too movement and, uh, you know, the difficult um, elections we've been going through this year. Um, to what extent do you feel it's emotional? You know, I guess this is a long way of asking, is this a sort of reasoned out rational change in your thought process to things? Or do you feel like an inherent emotion bubbling up from inside you when you confront political issues now? Mm. Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I'm probably going to say at least the... Um, tangible um, initial reaction, I'm going to say is probably emotional. Um, just because, um, Chris, as I'm sure you are aware, when you, you know, when you hold your child, you know, for the first time, or when you, you know, you find out you're going to become a father, as we talked about previously, and all these types of things, you know, you don't realize how much you can love something um, until it's there, right? And so I think, it, it, it definitely pulls on that a little bit because, you know, there are a lot of bad things that can happen in this world. But I mean, realistically, I think, to, you know, to a parent, something happening to their child is probably, you know, one of the worst, right? Or one of the worst possible things that you can think of. Um, mm -hmm. And so I think it's probably just that inherent kind of emotional, like, I don't want anything bad to happen to my child, or I don't want, you know, my child to have to... Um, suffer through, you know, whatever it happens to be, you know, um, or I don't want my child to have to experience this, that, or the other thing. Um, and so I'm going to say it's probably inherently emotional, um, mm -hmm. but then maybe not quickly followed by, but then, you know, um, it will progress to something that's a little bit more um, calculated and tangible kind of objective reasoning. Um but I will say probably for me, I would say it's it's emotional probably in its foundation um, mm. just because of, you know, just that inherent, uh, you know, ang anxiety of, you know, just real well, any harm befalling your child or any, you know, negative circumstance befalling your child. Right, right. And and on that on that kind of general topic, um, I'm going to I'm, I'm going to turn it around a little bit to ask this question. And this, this might be a difficult question to, to answer. It might not even be something you've necessarily thought about in a conscious way, but I'm, I'm curious with some of the things you mentioned, you know, um, one thing in particular, you said sort of the, the Me Too movement and the changes in openness and tolerance and um, inclusion that we've seen over the, over the last couple of years. Um, I was speaking with an uncle on um, my wife's side of the family at a, at a family get together last year. Um, and he was talking about when, I mean, he's, he's quite a bit older than us in his sixties. And, and he was talking about when he had his first child, um, he was talking about how he became more of a conservative person. So he was more of a um, a liberal when he was younger, and he's more of a conservative now. And and I'll remind listeners, this is Canada, so small L liberal, small C conservative, everything's kind of much more toned down here. But he, he had more conservative inclinations. And he was talking about um, an increased interest in public safety and keeping drugs off the street and reducing crime and, uh, you know, individual responsibility and, and things that, you know, you hear out of the mouths of conservatives more commonly. Um, and I feel like 
I, I feel like as people age, it's there's a greater tendency to migrate in that direction. And I wonder to what extent fatherhood comes into play there. And so what I'm curious about is, do you feel that on the political spectrum, as a result of having a child, you've moved more to the left or more to the right? Or do you feel that your place on the spectrum hasn't changed, but just different sort of tweaks in the relative levels of importance of different things? Do you feel a wholesale change in, in your political outlook or just sort of different, different little pieces here and there? Well, I'll start off by saying um, that obviously living in the United States, um, you know, that's a pretty heavy pendulum that swings. Mm. Um, you know, we're, we're big L, big C, liberal, conservative down here. Um, but um, I will honestly say I don't think that there really has been any change. But what I would say is that I feel like it's probably cemented my stances on a lot of things. So I feel like it's mm -hmm. almost acted like a megaphone to kind of amplify right. internally what I no, I do believe, but when you apply it differently, meaning not necessarily for myself, but for example, as to how it would then pertain to my child or how I would want my child to grow up, perceive these types of things or grow and learn in a particular environment. Um, it's, it's a lot easier to just believe something for yourself than it is to be able to foster a particular environment for somebody else. So, um, so I would be saying... Um, you know, I've, I've always been a, a very open person, a very inclusive person. Um, and, and a, a lot of what I feel like I, I feel now to myself is, you know, allowing my daughter to grow up in a society and in a place that she feels comfortable being who she is, um, regardless of what that is and being able to, express herself appropriately, you know, feel free to, um, you know, have tough questions, ask those, um, you know, challenge the status quo, you know, a lot of those types of things. So I feel like, if anything, it's probably just cemented what I've maybe not even realized what I felt, um, if that makes sense. Like, there's right. a lot of things that I didn't know I felt so strongly about them, um, or making sure that the future would look a certain way um, until that particular thought process now affects somebody else and not just myself. Mm. Um, yeah. And um, so in that way, no, I don't think I've noticed any overt change maybe in the quote unquote position, if you want to call it that along the spectrum. Um, but maybe the um, assertiveness in which I defend or, um, or bring about those particular views, if that makes right. sense. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I totally hear you. And I, I think that's kind of interesting, the idea that it's not that you've shifted on the spectrum, but that the ideas that you've held before just feel so you feel much more strongly about kind of growing, growing from that. Um, you know, one of the things that I've noticed, for example, I mean, my, my daughter is much, much younger, um, so I'm sure I have more thinking to do about these things. But one of the issues that I feel that I never realized that I, or I should say that I did realize that I knew nothing about and that I hadn't given any thought to, and that probably from a political perspective, 
you know, it, it reminds you that when you think you're considering everything, you're, you're not. You're probably missing somebody in society who you're not thinking about and the difficulties that they're facing. And for me, that was um, child care benefits, uh, daycare, mm. the education system, uh, public school versus Catholic school, which is, uh, you know, uh, an issue here in Ontario. Um, you know, all of the, all of these different topics um, and the the seeing it from the side of education from the side of childhood you know not not to get too off topic but even thinking about how would i react if my child were getting bullied you know a, a topic that i had never ever thought about before that my perspectives around these issues might change you know might you know have changed given my position now so i'm i'm curious christian is there a topic that you had never thought about before that you had really never given any thought to before that now all of a sudden is in, in the forefront of your mind and something you do care about. It's really funny that you mentioned education uh, because that was literally going to be my answer. Um, and uh, I was very lucky. Um, I grew up the uh, product of two public school educators in the province of Ontario. Um, I was in the public school system, um, you know, public everything, then went to uh, university um, after that, um, and then obviously, you know, uh, veterinary college. But um, yeah, it's really interesting process that, um, you know, I, I hope they're not listening to this episode because I'll never admit this to them, uh, to their faces, but I got to give my parents a lot of credit um, because, you know, it's a lot of these things, and I'm sure we'll bring this up multiple times, but there are a lot of things that we um, that I now look back on and I'm just like, man, my parents had to make some tough calls, uh, you know, just, just in general, you know, about, like you said, where, where did they go to school? Like all of these types of things, you know what I mean? Like I grew up a three minute walk from my elementary school. Um, so like growing up, it made perfect sense that that's where I would go. Like I was five going to kindergarten. Why would I believe anything different? But I mean, I could have gone to, you know, private school, like you mentioned, Catholic school, like, you know, all of that type of stuff, depending on, you know, your particular belief system. Um, and just seeing all of the different options and like now, so obviously I live in New York state, um, seeing all the different options that are around in terms of, uh, you mentioned, you know, private schools, public schools, the Catholic system. Um, although that being said in in New York state anyway, the Catholic system is kind of the private system. It's not funded the same way that it is in Ontario. Um, but it's just kind of interesting to see all of the different, um, you know, options that are around. And then obviously with the pandemic happening and seeing all of my neighbors and friends being like, man, homeschooling's the worst. And, you know, all of this type of stuff, which I do not envy, uh, teachers in this scenario. And I certainly do not envy parents either. Um, you know, it's a really interesting concept that I'm glad maybe at least now I don't have a school age child just yet. Um, but, <laughs> right. Give um, it a little bit more thought. <laughs> exactly. I, I have a few more episodes of the podcast to think about it a little bit more maybe. But uh, yeah, um, yeah, that's always been one that I've, um, you know, had, like you said, I don't think I, I mean, you think about it and you're like, yeah, okay, you know, they'll grow up and, you know, they'll go to school and they'll, you know, whatever. But there's a lot of minutiae. Um, involved in those decision processes uh, that you don't really necessarily think about. And now you sit there and you're just like, oh crap, am I making the right 
decision. You know, is she going to right. the right school? Is she, you know, this, that, and the other thing? Is she learning enough? Is she progressing enough? Is she, you know, should she be talking more by now? Should she know this by right. now? And then you're like, you know, micro analyzing, you know, my poor 18 month old who's, right. you know, just happy that there's a, you know, she's more excited about just, you know, lying on top of the dog than she is anything else. And, you know, and uh, we're sitting there being like, oh, she only knows X number of words or like, you know, whatever it is. But um, so, yeah, that's uh, it's funny you bring that up because that's definitely something that I never considered at all. Um, Or I should say it was something that always just kind of sat there as you're like, yep, that's a thing that will happen and not really thinking too specifically about it. And it's one of those things, too, that that. Unlike a lot of things in in parenthood and in, in fatherhood, it's something that's a little bit out of your control. You know, at that at the, at the age that our daughters are, two months, eighteen months. You know, we're in we're in charge of a lot of the things going on. Um, but when it comes to the education system, you're kind of, you know, it's one of those moments where you're releasing her to the wild a little bit, and you're putting your eggs into the basket of the education system. Um, and there's a lot of difficult decisions. So, I guess in closing, education. Very important, very complicated, but uh, we'll we'll keep figuring this out as the podcast goes along. So uh, yeah, a lot of a lot of great uh, things in that segment. We're going to take a quick break now. Uh, we're going to come back with a little story of our origin, or as you might say, an origin story. We'll be back after this on Dad Joke Loading. Welcome back to Dad Joke Loading Podcast. Uh, my name is Christian, alongside my co-host Chris, um, and we're back from break, and uh, it's going to be time for us in this episode to uh, bring back one of our recurring segments called Origin Story. Now, this is a really fun segment um, because it's essentially um, a time where we get to share um, some fun stories about how Chris and I became friends, stayed friends. Uh, had crazy adventures together and kind of the foundation for, you know, our friendship and relationship, which is really kind of what this podcast is, is about in, in, in its core. Um, and uh, our next topic in the episode is going to be related to um, the hospital experience kind of from a, a fatherhood perspective. And so I thought it would be a really good time for us to talk about the time, Chris, um, when I drove you to the hospital. <laughs> and how could I forget? How could I forget that time? And, and that was, uh, this is a heck of a story. It's probably one of the, um, it's probably one of the, the funnier one. Well, from my perspective, the funnier ones, you were the one going to the hospital, I suppose. But, um, <laughs> you know, in our, um, you know, in our, uh, in our library here. And, um, so as, as you may remember, listeners, um, you know, Chris and I met in uh, in veterinary college. And so uh, one of the things that they really encourage you to do in vet school is to kind of, you know, maintain some school life balance. And so um, if any of you have ever been on an intramural sports team um, throughout your college uh, careers, um, Chris and I decided to play uh, intramural floor hockey as one of our um, as one of our ventures, um, if you're a Canadian kid, you kind of grew up playing mini sticks. So, um, you know, college kids playing way too competitive floor hockey for no reason was just a natural, you know, stepping stone, I think for us in our hockey careers. And, um, and so we played on a team with, uh, some other vet students, um, and won the championship, no big deal. 
but um, there was a particular game that we were playing, and uh, Chris, maybe you can allude to this a little bit more. But I, I remember it was the end of the first half, and there was just you know a, a you know a group of people in front of the net. Um, you know, we were getting pucks to the net. You know, we were getting bodies in front. We were uh, you know just uh, you know really challenging the other team. It was a good twenty minutes. Um, getting pucks in deep. Yeah, or I suppose, right. unfortunately, as you would unfortunately have to say in floor hockey. Balls in deep, unfortunately. That should have been but... our team name. Ah, <laughs> darn it. Missed opportunity. But you're absolutely right. I'm uh, I'm extremely impressed by your memory. It, it was the end of the first half. That's exactly right. And uh, me and, and an opponent just went for the ball. Clean play. I mean, I uh, not, not the opponent's fault whatsoever, but just a collision of sticks and uh, being floor hockey, you know, it's uh, kind of a slick hardwood floor and uh i just took a little tumble didn't think much of it fell uh fell on my side and uh that was about it you know i got up and uh, felt a little bit stiff in my right arm just felt like i didn't quite have the same range of motion just felt a little bit sore every way i moved it this way or that um and so that's that's kind of how i was feeling you know and uh, we made it to halftime and I thought, I'm, I'm just going to stretch it out a little bit. So, you know, we're taking a little water break and I'm just stick handling around. And, um, you know, I, I go to, to drop a pass between my legs, as you know, one of my favorite moves. And there it goes. I just feel my right arm fall out of its socket. Uh, I don't I think thought, I knew well, that aspect of this story <laughs> until right now. It's unbelievable. I've I'd never felt a dislocated shoulder before, but it feels like it just feels like you can't move your arm forward. It's just like in the wrong spot. It's like stuck kind of behind you. And for me, when I was just sitting there with when I'm not really putting any uh, traction on it, it doesn't it wasn't that painful. It was trying to move it in any direction that was excruciating. So I just kind of had to stay in one spot. But you played um, the majority of the second half, did you not? I did. I did. Um, I don't recall you, know, you being that noticeably life. injured, though. Well, we all we all make bad life decisions, Christian. I think that's all. Well, there I think is our to lives it. are I, a series I, of those. Yes, but like I'm just I, saying, I don't remember you actually like noticeably well, I, being that impaired. I, I, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, I that's very that's very kind of you to say, but I was I I remember um, going back out there. I think I started the second half on the bench. I came back out. Um, I tried a few plays largely, and I mean, I'm right-handed. So in, in hockey, you know, your dominant hand is typically at the top of your stick. Uh, so I couldn't, I couldn't poke check. I couldn't break up passes. I could barely shoot, uh, certainly not with any power. And uh, I think it, I took two shifts out. And then I, after that, I was like, no, I, I can't play. So I think I sat on the bench for like the last five, 10 minutes of the game. And then, uh, and then we, we took a quick jaunt down to the, uh, you know, we have a, those campus paramedics that naturally are at the gym, smart place, smart place for them to be and said, uh, you know, Hey, I, uh, this, there's a slight problem with this, uh, with this shoulder here. I, I don't see it. Don't think it's in the right place. And uh, why, why don't you take it from there? I don't want to uh, hog or, uh, origin story. Time. Well, no, what I what I remember specifically is them just being like, yep, mm -hmm. like they were like, it was very instant. They didn't do a whole lot. And I don't mean that in a negative way for them, <laughs> that they were just instantly just like, you know, poor third year kinesiology major <laughs> um, doing his Sunday night shift at the, uh, you know, as the healthcare coordinator at the gym, you know, was like, yeah, you need to go to the hospital. Like it was just like, that was, that was it. Right. Like it was a very quick, like delineation just after the game, like, uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. But then what I remember also is he was like, he very quickly was just like, 
you could go to the hospital in town. He was like, you're going to wait there forever, though. And so mm-hmm. he sent us to like the small town just outside our campus town where he was yeah. like, yeah, you're going to drive like whatever it was, like 25 minutes, but you're going to wait like an hour instead of maybe five or six. Right. And so we were kind of right. like, okay. And now this was our second year of a veterinary school Sunday night. And, uh, you know, for those who um, have experienced the vet school way, um, typically, um, you know, big test happens Monday morning. Um, at least that's what our kind of pattern was. And so the the floor hockey was kind of our little study break on Sunday night. And uh, so we were like, well, I mean, I guess maybe we have no choice. Like, you know, Chris's shoulders in the wrong spot. You know, we got to we got to do something about this. So so we kind of just made the decision to drive there. Um, what I don't recall is how we ended up driving there in your car because I drove your car. We must have carpooled together, I assume, or if not, we just decided to go in your car. Um, mm, that's a good question. I actually don't remember that. I, I agree that we did take my car, but I don't really remember how we uh, how we how we made it into it. Just uh, just to briefly expand on what you were saying about the uh, the campus paramedic team, uh, you brought up uh, something that just triggered a memory of us walking into the little healthcare room. So they have one sort of senior person who's in, they call it, I think, their first response team. So like you say, people who are studying to go into a healthcare field, they're trained in first aid, they're not paramedics yet. Um, So there's one senior member who's been there a long time, and then the two junior members in the bright red coats with their their satchels. Bless their hearts, extremely polite. But, um, you know, I'm sitting there, you know, pretty much fine physically, mentally, other than my shoulder in the wrong spot. And I just remember them so deliberately and specifically taking an EKG and taking my blood pressure and asking if I could follow the pen with with my eyes. <laughs> like I appreciate this, guys. Really, really doing. I appreciate the thoroughness with which you are doing your job at this time. My shoulder's in the wrong spot, so we're just going to get going now, if that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> but it's one of those where I feel like we were kind of like, and I'm sure we did this probably too when we were on clinics or or residency or whatever, but just like so excited to like finally use some knowledge that you have, <laughs> even though it was in the exact wrong spot. Like you're just like, uh-huh, yep, just going to take your, uh, if you can breathe in for me, big breath in, big breath. My lung's not in the wrong spot, kid. It's my shoulder. <laughs> um, thank you. But again, I'm sure we had probably had clinicians that were just like, all right, Christian, like, you know, you don't need to flex that dog's paw. It has pneumonia, you know, thank you, but we can, we can take it from here. I'm sure it's happened, but, uh, um, but yeah. And so we, we kind of got going then and, uh, you know, drove to this little town, uh, hospital there and, uh, we got there. So, I mean, the game would have been what, I mean, it was after dinner into the evening for sure. Mm, so I mean, yeah, maybe by the time we got there, I mean, it was probably, you know, between, 10 30 and midnight i'm sure yeah uh yeah, when we arrived been, yeah. and you know did the whole check-in process and and that type of thing and um you know got into the waiting room and i mean i don't really remember many other people being there maybe no, two or three my, other people my immediate first thought was wow that guy was right this this hospital is so much quieter i'm pretty sure i i genuinely don't remember a single other person in the waiting room i kind of vaguely remember the receptionist being a little annoyed that there was like another person there like ah oh, there's a we have a patient oh yeah, my she goodness. was real excited there- to netflix and chill that night and then she realized <laughs> that yeah we were coming in 
<laughs> but they were they were extremely nice. And um, I don't know if, if you got to experience this part. So I, um, you know, they, I, they said, what's wrong? We said, you know, I think I've dislocated my shoulder. And they said, okay, no problem. And they showed me to... Uh, uh, I don't know how, how to describe it. So in, in the emergency room, you know, everybody has a little bay. Every patient has a little bay and they have curtains around it. So you can't see each other, but, you know, you're in the same room. You can hear each other really well. Um, and there were a few other patients back there. So the first thing, uh, and this will, uh, you know, foreshadowing to our hospital stories in a moment. Um, I hear this this unfortunate, you know, I feel so bad for this uh this poor woman, a few uh, beds down from me. All I hear is, <laughs> and I'm thinking, oh my God, I am so sorry for this person. And I, I mean, she, I am having a much better night than she is. And my limb isn't in the right place. So she must be having a really bad time. Um, so that, that kept me company for uh, about an hour or so until the uh, emergency doctor, really nice guy, came to uh, see, see me at probably by this point, about one in the morning. And um, so he's doing a few range of motion tests, you know, asks me a few basic questions, sit on the edge of the bed, lifts my arm up, puts my arm down, asks me to stand up, asks me to, to reach up with my hand and then bring it slowly back down on top of my head. And all of a sudden I feel another pop of my, of my shoulder coming back out again, an excruciating pain. And he goes, oh, you, did you feel that? And I said, yep, yep, felt that. And he said, okay, just one second. And he manipulates my arm, puts it back into place again. And uh, says, "Okay, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna order some X-rays. So uh, just wait here." And uh, so he opens the curtain. I can hear him walking down the hall, and I hear him go up to that same receptionist at the front and says, "Oh man, I feel so bad for that kid. I just popped his arm out again." <laughs> <laughs> Which is really funny because I don't like I didn't hear any of that. Like I didn't hear that poor woman screaming. Uh, I did not hear that happen at all. So that's that's fantastic. <laughs> and you know i it's something i definitely couldn't have appreciated at the time but i absolutely appreciate now just the the humanity of the doctor you know that they are a human who makes mistakes who just like me leaves an exam room and says oh my god what the hell is that i gotta look that up in a textbook you know just that that moment where you you feel those human interactions between the members of the medical team it really makes me wonder now how much does my voice carry in my clinic because now I'm <laughs> yeah, really wondering how many people have just been like, oh, like as I'm just like, what in the ever loving God is that, you know, or whatever, <laughs> um, as, uh, you know, as I walk out of the exam room, like you said, to uh, ask for assistance or, or convey severity to a colleague, you know, or something of that nature. But um, wow, those anal glands really exploded back there. Yeah, oh, God. got some in my mouth. Ugh. <laughs> Um, so yeah, and then uh, they took some x-rays and uh, gave me a sling and uh, a prescription for an orthopedic surgeon for a referral. And that was it. And then we were on our way at probably at this point now, two, three in the morning. I mean, pretty darn late at this point. And and so, you know, we obviously start to, you know, make our way home and because uh, we lived together, you know, at the time. And, um, you know, so again, we're kind of in not like back roads, but I mean, kind of, you know, we're in small town, Ontario, going back towards our campus town, which is not on the like incredibly large scale in terms of, you know, Canadian cities. It's, you know, kind of in the, in the middle there somewhere, pretty, you know, campus town. And I don't like, I mean, obviously we were, you know, talking, you know, just, you know, shooting the shit or whatever. And 
then all of a sudden I just remember just seeing it in the headlights and we are out on this, you know, this country road at three in the morning and I just ran over this raccoon and just so violently. And I feel like in hindsight, we were thinking about it and we were just like, I'm, I'm pretty sure I sped up like intrinsically that I was like, well, if I'm going to hit this thing, I'm going to make sure it's dead, you know, like, cause there, yeah, was, I mean, there the way, was no stopping. The way that I remember it. And I mean, you correct me, you correct me if I'm wrong here. The way I remember it is we were driving along and we saw it looking like it had already been hit like immobile on the road its tail was kind of like flailing i think you're absolutely uh, right it was like we were deciding if it was already semi-smushed or not yeah and i think it was just like a very rapid in the moment i remember us making eye contact and thinking like this animal has been hit it is suffering it is in the road there is unfortunately now that we've seen it at the last moment a very low chance that we're not going to hit it and i think you just made an instant decision to try to reduce its suffering as as fast as you could and uh yeah it, i mean it was it was all in a second but we looked at, it, at each other's eyes and we're like oh this poor raccoon this poor raccoon i feel like i had like yeah the entire hippocratic oath like coming behind me because i was like you know they say do no harm but like I'm going to run this thing over with my car real quick just to make sure it's dead. You know, like, and I, I mean, for listeners out there, I, I worked at a wildlife rehab center with raccoons. I love raccoons. I'm a huge sucker for them. I think they get a, sh a short straw in our communities. I, um, you know, I think they don't get the, the great treatment and respect that they deserve, but this raccoon was in some pain. Let's just be clear about that. It was not a good situation. A third of its body life. was squished. Like oh, onto yeah. the, onto the road, so yeah, I don't think that thing good. was uh, was coming back either way. <laughs> so yeah. um, so Sending not only did that poor woman in the uh, hospital uh, have a much worse night than you, so did the raccoon. So I mean, we were yeah. climbing up the yeah. we were climbing up the leaderboard there pretty quickly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, Put things in perspective real quick. I'll say that much. And so um, I'll I'll maybe let you touch a little bit about, you know, what your night was like after that. But I remember, you know, getting home. And again, by the time we got home, maybe four in the morning. And um, for the listeners out there, I mean, our tests were every Monday at 8 a.m. And Chris, we had a pretty fairly um, regimented kind of Monday morning, you know, getting up, you know, doing the, you know, the breakfast sandwich, maybe McDonald's or the, en the energy drink or whatever it was, getting there early, yeah. you know, going over a few notes. And I don't know when I made the decision, but I made the decision just to go ahead and write the test anyway. Yeah, and I was amazed. I, I didn't remember when you made the decision either, but I kind of remember when we got home that night thinking you were going to write it. And then you did. I was amazed. It was incredible. Because there was nowhere that we were going to like contact anybody at three in the morning to be like, yeah, I'm not coming in tomorrow. So yeah, I just kind of, I went in, I wrote the test. It was a, a course called Principles of Disease or POD for those of uh, you guys who are listening that know what that is not an easy course. Um, I, I can't imagine I did that well, um, well enough to pass it, um, which is really kind of what I was aiming for based on the hours of sleep that I had. Um, and then just kind of went, went about our way. Um, but Chris, I'll just finish off the story real quick. Um, which is the, the lovely gift that you left me, uh, when I got home, uh, from, from writing the exam, um, and if you remember the 
um, one of the first episodes that we did, um, that I am a very uh, ambidextrous person. So I can, um, you know, uh, pitch a baseball both ways. I can, you know, bat both ways, do do a bunch of things, both left-handed and right-handed. And so Chris, who had injured his dominant arm, being his right arm in which he writes, um, wrote me a thank you note uh, left-handed. Um, and, 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 and put it on my door and it said, guess who's ambidextrous. And then in very small letters at the bottom, it says still just you in the worst <laughs> handwriting ever. I still have that. Uh, I still have that. Um, we were talking about, you know, things we find in our basement, you know, kind of scenario. Um, I found that not too long ago, um, cause I kept it, um, and I will keep it, uh, until the end of time. So um well that makes that makes my heart happy christian that uh that was a very memorable night and one of many 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 good nights of our friendship and uh just one of the i mean how many people get to say yeah i dislocated my shoulder he drove me to the hospital at two in the morning we hit a raccoon and then we still wrote or he still wrote i did not write i am i am not as much of a hero as him wrote uh the exam the next day and have a uh have a very touching note to remember it by. And that's still just like one of our many stories of friendship over the last 10 years. And one but, of the, uh, old, yeah, the one of only the few that involved the hospital. Because um, <laughs> yeah. uh, I'm sure there are a few others, which we'll get to. But uh, but uh, the, the word hospital and the topic of hospital kind of leads us into our, uh, our next, uh, you know, kind of hot topic of conversation here, which is, um, you know, the, the hospital experience, um, you know, of becoming a father kind of from the father's perspective. Um, and this is, I'm really excited about this uh, topic because I mean, we really have not talked about this at all. Um, you know, in terms of kind of what our specific experiences were like and kind of the differences and, and what we kind of went through, you know, in detail, because, um, you know, obviously we weren't, you know, around, we were in different countries when, you know, when our respective children were born and, and Chris, your daughter um, was obviously born during, um, you know, a time where uh, the COVID pandemic was, you know, still very much happening as it obviously still is. Um, so people, um, you know, aren't, you know, as able to travel and visit each other, you know, in that type of thing. So, you know, I'm really excited to to kind of to kind of chat about this with you. Um, so I'll just open it up to you right away and just uh, kind of get your thoughts on uh, kind of just a brief kind of like description of your, you know, hospital experience from kind of start to finish, uh, you know, just kind of in general terms, and then we'll get into it a little bit, but um, maybe just your hospital experience. And then kind of as you were getting set in the hospital, what are some things that stuck out to you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a good question. It was a very, uh, I mean, the day was a blur, as I'm sure very much it was for you as well. Um, I actually have kind of a funny story about um, the the day of birth, uh, as it were, um, or the 24 hours leading up to it. Um, and then uh, and then that'll lead us into the hospital and I'll go from there. So, um, you know, our my daughter was born in very difficult times and uh, COVID, you know, and, and during a uh, lockdown. So we, um, we had some challenges with regard to um, the extent to which I was allowed in during most of Brittany's appointments up to that point. Um, I had been allowed in for the ultrasounds, but none of the appointments with the obstetrician. So um, our, our daughter's due date um, was two days before she was ultimately born. 
So we had several appointments right around the due date. And right around the due date, things were changing for, for my wife as well. Um, and, and sort of in, in her, what she was feeling, pains, you know, the, the dropping, you know, she could feel that things were starting to, to come. Um, and so every time we went to the obstetrician, they would say, no, you're not dilated yet. It's not uh, your due date yet. You know, just go home. We'll see you again in a couple more days. And every time we'd go, uh, I would just drop my wife off at the obstetrician. I would wait outside because I wasn't allowed in. And then she would come out and tell me the story. And so we did this all throughout the pregnancy and and very frequently within the last week. You know, this was maybe our, I don't know, our 12th visit or something like that to the obstetrician by this point. And uh, my wife walks out the door and uh, s- sits in the car and says, um, well, um, I'm already five cent or no, sorry, three centimeters dilated and we have to go to the hospital. And I wasn't expecting it. We didn't have the go bag in the car. We weren't ready. For, you know, we weren't expecting wow. uh, that news that that it's like it's time to go. It's go time. So um, I, I, you know, a million things go through your mind at this time. We drive straight to the hospital and uh, I drop my wife off and I say, um, you know, I'll can I go? I'll, I'll go back to the house, get the go bag. She's like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's going to take me some time. They got to get me admitted, put a catheter in and all that stuff. So um, I go home and of course, Murphy's Law, this is the day that I'm getting receipt of my new ultrasound machine. And I'm supposed to get the training for my ultrasound machine on this day as well. Of course. And of course, the first thing you're thinking is, well, why would you, you idiot, why would you schedule your training? Uh, and this is just machine training, not learning how to ultrasound. I did that over the course of my residency, but just using the specific device. And um, the person who's training me is coming down from Ottawa. You're thinking, why would you schedule it on that day? Um, you know, the option was that or like one month later. So we thought, okay, my wife was like, no, just get it, just get it done out of the way. What are the odds, right? What are the odds? Well, the odds uh, were not in our good. favor. Yeah. yeah, apparently, apparently. So um, I go home to get the go bag, and Brittany's like, yeah, yeah. Uh, my wife is like, yeah, yeah, uh, go ahead and, uh, um, you know, have your, have your training session as long as it's not too long and, and meet me there. And so it's a blizzard, and the person who's doing the training gets there pretty much on time, not, not, not too far off. One hour goes by, two hours go by. At this point, I'm having like, you know, that internal struggle of like, I'm having a conversation out here, but I am not observe. I am not retaining a single word. All that's rushing through my head is I'm going to be a dad. What's an ultrasound machine? What do I even need this for right now? I'm this, this a human being in my wife who's about to come out of my wife. What do I possibly need to know about image acquisition and storage right now? <laughs> and um, so I, this wonderful ultrasound training individual, I, I won't say her name, but she, uh, if you're listening, thank you so much for your patience and kindness and, and expertise. You were really wonderful. And at a certain point, I mean, she, I told her that I was about to have a, a baby and uh, I kept having to leave to make calls to my wife and, of course, my mom and my father-in-law and, like, everyone in the family. And she's like, um, you know, why don't, why don't we just take this up another time? Why don't we just finish this up another time? And we're like, I'm rushing out the door. Um, and uh, so at this point, this is probably now three and a half hours-ish after, after my wife first left the obstetrician. So I finally get back and I get into the hospital 
I passed all the screening. I got the go bag in hand and I meet her in the hospital. So there we are. Um, and uh, I would say my hospital experience was actually really, really good. Um, we really, uh, I was very impressed. I, have, I haven't spent, contrary to the story that we just uh, told you for 15 minutes, I haven't uh, spent a lot of time in hospitals before as a patient um, and not even really that much um, as, a, as a visitor either, um, knock on wood. Um, and so I didn't really have a lot to compare to, and I didn't really know what my expectations were coming in, um, but I was really, really impressed. Um, what I was most impressed by, and this may be a product simply of the degree of specialization within human medicine and particularly obstetrics and gynecology, excuse me, is the um, routineness with which it felt, with which it was conveyed to us by the nurses. Sure. You know, we've been here before, we've done this a million times, and, and the confidence that that gives you when your medical provider is um, demonstrating to you their, their calmness and their experience, and just the extent to which that put us at ease um, was really wonderful. Um, my, uh, so we had a, you know, we had a private delivery room, um, just to kind of set the scene. Um, it was a fairly big room, you know, we had windows, uh, my daughter was born sort of overnight, so it was very quiet. Um, some of the things that I noticed that were interesting and maybe speak to some of the complexity of the healthcare system, which is probably another, a whole other podcast for a whole other day. Um, you know, there were several really interesting and well put together charts in our delivery room, you know, for tracking things, uh, writing down, you know, how the, how the mom's doing and uh, vital parameters, the infant's vital parameters, um, things like that. And none of them were used. And it hmm. really brought, uh, and, and that wasn't necessarily to any detriment to us. Again, you know, I have nothing but good things to say uh, about our medical team in the hospital. They were excellent and uh, really on top of things and, and reassured us and the equipment was great. But it does speak to me to a disconnect, which I think you and I probably feel every day in the healthcare community, between all of the different pieces, administration, product ordering, the people using the equipment and the charts and the devices, the people in academia who are suggesting the charts and devices and things, the people who are ordering them, the people who are implementing them. There are so many different steps and it speaks to inefficiency. And it's inefficiency that you and I probably experience every day oh, absolutely. In, in, our own, uh, in our own fields. Um, and it was just interesting. This is a tiny little thing, not a, not a, a single thing that would make me complain or overall in any way make it a ne negative experience, but just little things that you kind of notice and you think, hmm, that that translates from veterinary medicine into human medicine, the uh, the inefficiencies and, and some of those, uh, you know, uh, equipment that isn't being used, um, things like that. So, yeah, overall, we had a really great hospital experience, really, really excellent nurses. Um, I, I won't say the name of our uh, main delivery nurse, but she was absolutely wonderful. Um, and I know this is more of the patient experience than the hospital experience, but the, the single biggest thing was telling, telling my wife not to push until the very last moment, you know, saying, don't push, don't push. We don't want to tire you out. Just wait, just wait. It'll come. And then, you know, when the time came saying, okay, we're going to push and we want it to be for only like 20, 30 minutes and then you'll be done. Um, so you don't get yourself tired out. And that made all the difference in the world. And it did take longer, 
Um, but it made the experience really, really good for, for my wife. So yeah, that, that was my hospital experience. We were then transferred to the wards. Um, so that, that was um, maybe a little bit of something that was a little bit jarring as you get used to a certain nursing staff who are all comfortable with the patient, with the infant, with the, with the family. And then immediately you're with a new medical team. And in the wards, they have many different rotating nurses. So you're not with one staff. Um, and I think one thing that really drove home for me was, um, you know, in with our amazing healthcare system in which we didn't pay a cent, you know, we didn't pay a single cent for a single piece of any of our healthcare. Um, really, really incredible. I have nothing but good things to say. Um, you know, it was interesting that uh, we, in talking with the generation before us, um, my mom, my grandmother, my aunt, you know, they all said they were in the hospital for several days. You know, uh, my aunt was with a healthy delivery, non-C-section was in the hospital for a week. Um, and during that time, they're teaching breastfeeding, they're teaching swaddling, they're teaching parenting. Um, but in our context, you know, the expectation was that we had all learned everything there is to be about a parent in our maternity classes. And then we had a day to make sure the baby was healthy and then get out of there. You know, mm. we had to ask them, like, can you just show us how to swaddle a baby? And they were like, oh, yeah, sure, we can do that. You know, it was very much the expectation that, like, you have this sorted and we're here just to make sure physiologically everything is fine. Interesting. And again, nothing to complain about. I mean, I, I think this is a beautiful system and I'm, I'm not here to in any way be negative about it. It's just interesting. And I think it raises the question as to, is that the best way to get the best outcomes for, for mothers and fathers and, and, and their children? Um, is there a better way that we can do things? And I wonder if maybe education is a, is a piece of that. So yeah, uh, overall, I would say a 9.5 out of 10 hospital experience. I was very impressed I would happily go back to the same hospital and have the same staff. Um, but yeah, a few little interesting things that, that kind of make you think and make you think about healthcare overall. What was your, uh, what was your hospital experience like my friend? Yeah, well, um, I, I'll, I'll start very briefly just to kind of, um, you know, mirror what you were talking about, which is just the kind of, how do we get to the hospital? Well, um, so my daughter was born actually on a holiday weekend um, and so, you know, very early in the morning on a holiday Monday. So, um, I remember waking up, uh, I don't know, five 30, maybe on Sunday morning. And, uh, you know, I kind of stirred because my wife had already got up and gone to the bathroom as very pregnant women tend to do frequently. Um, you know, and didn't really think too much of it. And she kind of just like poked me and was like, Hey, uh, so my water broke. And I was just like, what? You know, like jarring awake. And she's like, and she, by that point, she'd already been on the phone with the on-call OB, like for 15 minutes and was very calm about everything. And I was just like, oh my gosh, like, like, let's go. Like, what are we waiting for? And she was like, yeah, it's no big deal. She's like, you know, I'm not really contracting. So like, we've got some time. So like, if you want to have a shower and, uh, mm. and, and, you know, we'll just make our way there. And of course, as you said, you don't have anything ready. So my daughter was born about two and a half weeks early. Um, right. And happy and healthy and everything. So of course, but, um, so we didn't have the car seat in the car. Like we didn't have, we had the to-go bag ready. Um, we had it ready at least. Um, so we could put that in the car, but there I am, I remember. And, uh, Chris, I'm sure you'll remember from our, um, you know, many years of living together. And as my wife constantly yells at me for, I take very long showers. I do not shower quickly. I like to take my time. 
Um, and it's just, it's just who I am. And you, you and me, you and me both brother. I do remember that about you from living with you. Um, just as I'm sure you remember that about me, we, uh, you and I like a hot shower sometimes together. Well, not really, but uh, you know, well, maybe we'll see. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it was, so I just remember that was, I mean, maybe one of the quickest showers I ever took, which was still probably like 15 <laughs> minutes. You know what I mean? Like, it's just one of those where like, even if you try to go quickly, like for some reason, my, like, you know, my, my body and my subconscious just has to enjoy it for a little bit. So, but I just remember like, we, like we drove through the Tim Hortons drive through, you know, we got coffees and breakfast sandwiches and like, you know, just kind of made our way to the hospital. And again, this is a holiday weekend. So we get there at like 730 on a, on a Sunday morning. And I mean, there's nobody there. So we get in there and like, again, I think the person at the front was kind of surprised to see somebody. And so uh, we're very lucky in that our um, particular um, OBGYN delivered at the hospital where we were going. That's kind of why we picked this particular healthcare team. And so, but she wasn't working that weekend because it was a holiday weekend. So it was like the on-call person that was there. So anyway, we ended up being triaged, um, went into, you know, the the triage room and the two nurses there were very lovely. And, you know, it wasn't until really about 1130 once the uh, on-call residents and everything had come in and done her exam and everything that we were like, yep, we're staying. Like we are not leaving without a baby, you know, so we weren't even really sure, you know, what was going on anyway. So all of that being said, uh, you know, so basically, you know, 5.30 Sunday, water breaks to 4.44 a.m. Monday when daughter was born. You know, a relatively, you know, calm process for the most part, obviously up until the, you know, the end, uh, you know, where like you mentioned, most of the pushing happens. But one thing I just remember is there were probably eight to 12 nurses on the labor and delivery floor. And there were maybe three sets of parents, like there were three kids mm. being born. And so every time I walked out to get a glass of water, like eight pairs of eyes just immediately looked at me <laughs> because they like, not, I mean, they had nothing to do, right? Like it was, it was a holiday. So the Monday morning, there were no scheduled, you know, C-sections or anything like that. Like it was just, it was literally, they were only there for, um, you know, emergencies that would happen. And it was just really funny because they were all just like, you know, looking at us like so intently. Um, and I would just be like, just, just some more ice chips, you know, just, <laughs> just that's it. So um, now my daughter was born pre pandemic. So um, I was there with my wife um, and my mother-in-law um, who were there for most of it. Um, my parents came, came later, um, you know, cause they were obviously coming from Ontario. So, um, but yeah, I just remember just how, um, again, I, you know, 10 out of 10 in terms of just, you know, the staff and everything. And like you mentioned, our main delivery nurse who actually worked the whole weekend. So she was there for two 12 hour shifts with us, um, wow. which was fantastic. Um, she was wonderful. Um, again, if you're listening, um, I won't say her name, but uh, you have no idea how much you meant to our family. Um, and it was really funny. Actually, her dad um, was, as we learned, was a veterinarian. Um, who oh, graduated wow. from Cornell University. So we immediately bonded over that okay. and, um, and uh, which was funny, just those little things, you know? Um, yeah. And so, no, we had a fantastic birthing team all the way up and through the end. Um, although it's funny, you mentioned that uh, your kind of, um, you know, end process in terms of just the expectation. Uh, that was very interesting to hear you say, because I will admit we were in the hospital for actually about, four days total. We got there Sunday morning and didn't leave till Wednesday. And um, throughout then we had multiple lactation consultants come in. 
Um, we had um, uh, the on-call pediatrician come in multiple times just for like checks. I mean, again, our, our, our daughter was born happy and healthy and everything, but just, you know, all these little things, um, you know, that were, you know, just in terms of, you know, helping with breastfeeding because we had decided to do that and uh, and all these different things. So that's really interesting to hear you say that. Um, you know, just again, just differences, not that there is, you know, any right or wrong way, you know, it's going to be an ever evolving process, I'm sure. Um, but the one thing I do remember, which is maybe the main difference between the, uh, um, American and the Canadian system is that, uh, at the end of our stay, I had to go to billing, um, Ooh. which was like a very interesting concept that still blows my mind to this day. I will admit I am very lucky that I come from the country of Canada, you know, where we, now you mentioned you didn't pay, you know, a cent for it. I mean, you did, you know, your taxes yeah, and your, taxes, you know, yeah, and everything paid, paid taxes, for it. Yeah. So, I mean, yes, you do. You did pay for it, just not at that particular Absolutely. time. Um, but, and uh, I mean, we've, we've been paid in a, in a way, you know, I mentioned earlier in the episode, I haven't spent a lot of time in the hospital in my life. So in a way we've been paying for it for, you know, well, you start paying tax, you know, really when you first get your first income. So maybe 15, 16 years ago. And uh, so for 15, 16 years, I've been paying every single year for something I haven't been using. But that moment when you do need to use it, you know, it's and, there. Uh, and I think the biggest thing really, and I see this in veterinary medicine too, with, with insurance is um, what that does tangibly, you know, for us, I mean, we're, we're in a position where we're not overly rich. We're not overly poor. We're just, you know, we're, we're, we're in a good position. We're comfortable. Yeah. Yeah. Where, you know, we might be able to afford some rudimentary hospital bills, certainly nothing exuberant. That, that would be a big issue. But what it does is it just takes away any stress. I didn't think about money for, for 48 hours while I was thinking about being a dad and whether my wife was okay and whether my new daughter was okay. Um, there wasn't a single time when I thought about can I afford this? Is my insurance going to cover it? You know, is this going to bankrupt us? You know, do I have to pay for the ambulance? You know, anything like that. Um, and, uh, you know, so I, I think, I think you see that in all realms of healthcare where what, what insurance or, you know, in the case of Canadian human healthcare, um, you know, insurance essentially provided by the government is it takes away the stress about money. Um, more than anything else. And I, I value that. That was, that was nice. And I will admit, I mean, so we have, you know, my wife and I have private health insurance. And so, you know, the quote unquote bill was essentially a copay. Like it wasn't like, you know, um, I wasn't paying thousands of dollars or anything like that. Uh, although I'm sure some people do. Um, I, yeah. I, I honestly, I guess I am lucky enough to say that I don't know. Um, because or I people do who have insurance. difficulties, you know, difficulties with a difficult birth or something. Sure. Like that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so I will say that even though we did stay in the hospital four days, it was, um, a very, very small bill. It was just a kind of odd concept that again, still flabbergasts me a little bit, but you know, just in terms of they're like, okay, yeah. So before you go, like, here's your daughter, congratulations. Just stop by the cashier right there. And, uh, you know, on your way out, like, <laughs> you know, it almost feels like you're going through the checkout right. at Babies R Us. I'm like you know, my like, daughter. Oh, like, you, you know, like, yeah, you like that new model? Excellent. I, I think she's beautiful. Great choice. That'll just be fourteen hundred dollars yeah. and thirteen. Uh, As you go, you know, they scan her on the way out. You know, so like oh. they scan her little wristband, yeah. her hospital wristband. You know, ooh, deluxe model. Nicely done. 
but uh, just going back to uh, kind of you know hospital stories in general, is there a, a like a funny story or a um, kind of bizarre moment that you uh, remember specifically that will always be a story you either tell you know your family or your daughter when she gets older? <laughs> That's a good question. Um, I don't know about anything. Nothing in particular bizarre uh i would say maybe i mean other than the the entire experience of of just being in a pandemic you know that i wasn't really allowed to leave the hospital um you know we had to get things delivered to the hospital for us that none of my family could be there none of our parents saw her um you know it was just the two of us which i mean in some small way actually may have been nicer that it was just me and my wife experiencing that together but you know it uh, I feel bad for my parents and her parents that they didn't get to experience it quite in the same way. Um, but I think the only story that really sticks out to me was just a reminder of the importance of soundproofing in a maternity unit. So uh, it's maybe three in the morning, and I think there's three mothers delivering at that time. And, um, you know, there's a, there's, a, there's a hush, right? They've got all the lights out. It's three in the morning. It's... Uh, quite, uh, you know, my wife is doing, doing really well, but she's been in labor at this point for maybe 14, 15 hours, starting to feel a little anxious, you know, getting to that moment where things are starting to move. And just in the silence, in the darkness, in the middle of the night, all you hear, I mean, I won't imitate it. I've already imitated a scream earlier in this episode, is a poor, poor woman down the hall having a really rough moment. I mean, the types of yells that I have never heard come from a human in my life. Um, I have never, you and I have seen a car accident and someone come out of a car, stumble out of a smashed up smoking car. I can't before. wait for that origin story segment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, we've, we've seen, I mean, you and I have seen people go through trauma with their animals and an absolute terrible tragedy. I have never heard a scream like this before and it sticks in my brain, but it's not about me, right? I mean, I, who cares about me? What I remember is looking at my wife and the look on her face as she has not yet experienced that level of contraction yet. And just the terror the, of what just am like, I is that going to be moment? me? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, you know, there's a, there's a good episode of Modern Family where, uh, you know, Phil is getting a vasectomy and, and Jay brings him to the vasectomy clinic and Phil watches all these people just kind of wincing and, and very stiffly and tenderly walking out of the operation room. Uh, and, uh, um, you just hear Jay say, uh, you know what would do wonders for your little business here? A recovery room. And I just remember thinking of that in the moment and thinking, you know what would do wonders for this little maternity unit? Just some good soundproof doors. You'd just be golden. some extra egg cartons on the wall just to make yeah. sure that there is a, just a little bit more. Just keep you, I mean, because every time the nurse came in, she was, just stay calm. You're doing great, mama. All our support with you. You're going to do fine. And then five minutes later, they have to go through like calm voice training, right? Like they, they, they have to. I'd listen to her audio because right. Like she would. Yeah. Like it's Morgan Freeman. I feel like that's everybody's first audio book, <laughs> but then it might be like a maternity word nurse. Like, because <laughs> they just, they just know, they know how to talk. Um, which I'm sure comes with experience and expertise. Um, they are they are absolutely wonderful. I'll tell a, a real quick story, if I may. Um, you kind of just briefly touched on the um, differences or connections between veterinary medicine and 
uh, and human medicine, um, I will, um, you know, say that. So we were born, no, we were born, our child was born on a holiday weekend. And um, so there was only one anesthesiologist for the hospital. Um, because it's a holiday weekend. And so um, as we talk about epidurals and things like that, you know, he came in and was discussing that with us. And he was like, okay, you can have an epidural whenever you want, unless, you know, a trauma comes in or something like that, that they require me in surgery or something like that. And then there might be a standpoint where you say, hey, I want an epidural. And I say, I can't because I'm otherwise predisposed. Um, And we were like, nope, I guess that makes sense. You know, so we talked about it. Anyway, my wife's, uh, you know, pain level got to a point that she decided she did in fact want the epidural. Um, and so she did receive that. Um, and, uh, I was actually not allowed to be present for the administration of the epidural. Chris, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you said you were, were you not? That we, that we had an epidural and that, and, they, and you were there for it. Like you yeah. were there for it, right? Yeah. So I was not allowed actually in the room. There was only one per like, it was only my wife and the uh, anesthesiologist that were allowed um, so anyway, was that a COVID restriction or was that, uh, no, no, I mean, she was born pre pandemic. Right. So yeah, I just, that was, I guess a hospital thing. Um, so anyway, um, anyway, it went fine. You know, there was like no issues. That's not really the point of the story, but, uh, what is the point of the story is that as we were going through the process of being described it, he found out that we were veterinarians. And so he was like, Oh, that's really neat. You know, blah, blah, blah. And so he goes on and then he's just like, so then he goes and as he's describing it, he's like, let me ask you something. And here we are just kind of, you know, new parents talking about getting an epidural thinking we're all ready or whatever. And he was like, is gabapentin really used for pain control in cats? Because my cousin's cat has to get its leg amputated. And they were talking about putting it on gabapentin. And here I am thinking like it should be on a CRI of like an epidural of this and that and whatever. My my wife and Eric going like, what? Like, <laughs> like, wait a minute. Are you seriously like, like, and again, he was a lovely gentleman. Um, like I have nothing bad to say about him. It's just really funny that here we are ready for this profound epidural question. He goes, should I like, should my cousin really use gabapentin for his cat? And his cousin lives in like California or something like that. Yeah, and he's like, your wife, like needles sticking out of her spine to just turn around and go, actually, one of the great things about gabapentin is the dose variability that you have. <laughs> and it's just like, I just like, are you kidding me? Like, it was just, that was just something that was really funny that we talk about still to this day that we're just like, you know, as Chris, I'm sure you're well aware, you know, we get pestered by people in all walks of life for free vet advice. And uh, here's this anesthesiologist, you know, instructing us on what the epidural process is going to be like. And then just real quick asking about his cousin's California cat and should it get gabapentin or not? Um, And I mean, he was asking strictly out of, I think, of kind of like academic interest, you know, just in terms of the differences in analgesia between, you know, felines and and humans, obviously humans being his specialty. Um, But it was just, yeah, it was just really funny that that was just not like in hindsight, we should have been like, yeah, we're vets. Clearly someone was going to ask us a question, but uh, um, yeah, it was just really funny that in that moment, that was the question that we got. Um, And so we were just like, yeah, no, actually we use it quite commonly and, you know, here's why and all this type of stuff and, you know, this, that, and the other thing. And so he was like, oh, that's really interesting. He's like, okay, yeah. So if you want to just sign this consent form real quick, you know, for the epidural, we can get started. (laughs) So we were just like, okay, sounds good. And then again, everything went fine and, and whatever from there. But uh, no, that's just one uh, one story that I remember. And I'm sure we'll talk about many more, um, you know, hospital stories as we continue on through these episodes. But uh, we'll take a quick break here on the Dad Joke Loading Podcast. And when we come back, 
Um, we'll just wrap it up real quick with a recurring segment um, and then get us out of here and talk about what's coming next. So again, we will be right back in just a few minutes, but this is the Dad Joke Loading Podcast. Welcome back to the Dad Joke Loading Podcast. I am Chris, sitting here with my co-host, Christian. And uh, we're going to close things out here. But before we go, we're going to share a quick story um, from uh, of a great father from history. And this comes to a recurring segment, From the Vaults. So this one isn't from uh, too long ago. We'll use the segment to highlight fathers of, uh, of yesteryear from, you know, over the many, many many hundreds and thousands of years of uh, human existence. But this one is from a bit more recently, just two years ago, and it comes from close to home here in Canada of, uh, of a dad who took things into his own hands to make a difference for many, many dads, including myself and probably yourself, Christian, in years to come. So this is about a, a gentleman named Chris Webb. So Chris Webb um, is from the Montreal area, and uh, he went to one of yours and my favorite restaurants, Tim Hortons, good old Timmy's. And uh, so he went to Timmy's and he was faced with a problem that many dads face. He was out with his daughter, as I have been, as I'm sure you have been, when mom isn't there with us, and uh, went to the Tim Hortons and, and found out he had to change her diaper. So here he was, sitting in a restaurant with his baby, a situation that millions of Canadians have found themselves in before, and just as those millions of dads have found out before, there was no change table in male restrooms in mm. Tim Hortons. And, uh, you know, I understand some of the historical reasons behind these things. I'm not trying to, to look down on Tim Hortons in any way. The past is what it was. But it's also important for us to understand there are single fathers. There are divorced uh, parents, just as mine were when I was growing up, where you spend time just with your dad sometimes. There are situations where men need to change diapers. I have had poop running down my shirt front in the last 48 hours, as I'm sure you have as well. This is a reality of fatherhood. And so what Chris did, what Chris Webb did, is he wrote to Tim Hortons, and he said, I had to use a women's restroom. Is this what you, as Canada's most iconic restaurant chain, wants, is for men to have to use a women's restroom to change their, their infant, or, or to leave your, your restaurant with a soiled uh, child? Um, and so Tim Hortons, to their credit, did the right thing. They very quickly announced publicly that from that point on, all future restaurants would have a change table in both restrooms. Mm. A simple problem, a simple solution, um, noticed well and handled well. So this, this goes out to Chris Webb. Thanks for making a difference for many Canadians for years down the road. Thank you to Tim Hortons for um, recognizing the change and recognizing a need for change and, uh, and credit to them for doing it. So uh, just a very quick one, but that is our dad from the vault. And that's a really interesting concept, too, because it's, yeah, it's not something you would ever think of, you know, just kind of tying it back to the very first kind of topic, which was perspective changes. And now that you're a dad and like things, I, I don't know that I would have ever noticed that a bathroom didn't have a change table, you know, mm, until, yeah, you know, just little things like that. Um, and like you said, kudos to um, not only Tim Hortons in this case, as is the example, uh, but, you know, other places for, for, for stepping up and doing uh, similar things, because I have been many a place now. Uh, with my daughter where I've had to do such things. And again, whether it's a family bathroom or a, uh, you know, change table in a, in a men's room, um, as you said, um, it's becoming a lot more commonplace, which is great. 
um, and uh, you know, to to everyone's benefits, and not only the establishments that they're in, um, but you know, the families that are able to use them. So, absolutely, and it's not a particularly like it's not a political hot button issue. This isn't about how to raise your children or the role of fathers or mothers in the lives of their children. It's literally just where can poop go. Yeah, it's where, right? where can my kid use the bathroom that I can change her diaper? That's it. You know, we're not, this isn't rocket science. So good good on them for, for noticing that change and doing it. So, And uh, so that, uh, that'll bring us out to the close. Uh, we thank you very much for sticking with us through this long but hopefully informative episode of Dad Joke Loading, the podcast. Um, we'd like to uh, thank, as always, um, the people who allow this to be possible, um, my best friend and co-host, Christian, um, as no, well as thanks, our, our producer, Ryan, um, Michael Spicer, who uh, does all of our music. Check him out, Michael Spicer Music. Vishal Murthy, our illustrator. Check him out, the vet cartoonist. And of course, our wives and daughters for allowing us to carve out some time every week to talk to each other, to talk to you, uh, to try to figure out how to be dads together. We're going to take it one day at a time, and we'll be better with every day. So thanks very much for joining us. We'll see you again next week. I'm Chris. For Christian, this is Dad Joke Loading, the podcast. Have a good week.